0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Well, it is good to see you today, and we are continuing our wonderful study in the ABCs of character building And, you know, when you think of ABCs, you think of the beginnings of character building. And I don't want to assume that you folks that are listening to me today do not know anything about character, nor are you one who is not interested in building good quality, godly character inside of you, nor your children. Yet at the same time, I wanted to take the ABCs and select what I believe would be good character traits for us to think about. I spent a great deal of time looking over all different types of character traits and then sensing which ones the Lord might have us to address here so that we would grow in our own character and then help our children and perhaps be a strong and healthy church with good godly character. So we've studied the character trait of availability and then we studied on benevolence. And today we're going to look into another character trait. And for some of you that are wondering what exactly would be a biblical character trait because often the world teaches on character. In many of our public schools today, they will talk about character building. And a lot of our companies are dealing with ethics because there's been an ethic meltdown. And you know a lot about that. What makes the difference between what we might call secular character and then a biblical or Christian character? There is a big difference. Nothing really totally wrong with what you might learn in the secular arena. And I really want to applaud them for keeping that before us. Those of us that are a little bit older noticed how that character is really waning in many of our young people today, and I don't always fault the young people because they're only as good as that which they're taught and modeled in front of. But yet at the same time, in Biblical Christian character training, it's a little bit different. One, those of us who know Christ as Savior, when you trust Christ as Savior, you are given a power source, the ability now to have and maintain that right kind of character. Secondly, the character that we have is really coming from a Christocentric basis, which would mean Christ is at the center of it. That means it is His character lived out through us. It is for His glory that we have this character training. Sometimes when you hear it in the secular arena, it's often about having good character because it'll help you get a job, save a marriage, build better relationships, make more money, maybe get a special kudo from whatever group you're with. And none of that is necessarily bad, but it becomes man-centered rather than just God-centered. And God wants us to remember that everything begins and ends always with Him and why we need to be centered on Him alone. So a character definition, a biblical one, would look like this. It's the combination of moral qualities. Remember, character is not just one character trait, it's a combination of many moral character traits. And then it says, which shows forth the righteousness of Christ in and through the life of a Christian. So in other words, we want to manifest Christ in us and then through us to those that are around us. And so it's good for us to look at character traits, the many of them that are there, and to pick them out from Scripture. It's so important. Well, today's character trait, as you can well see, is going to be on courage. Now, for those of you, I think you might know that there is a distinction between what we call physical courage and moral courage. Let me see if I can make that clear to all of us today. Physical courage is something that we will display maybe in the midst of a crisis, something that happens upon us often law enforcement and military people are trained to respond to a crisis instantly and so their courage is almost coming out of a response to a situation now it is true some will display a little bit more courage than others but it becomes part of that how many of you have read in the newspaper where a family was in crisis maybe they were involved in a car that plunged into a river or a lake or the ocean and what happens is they all swim out and the dad is up on the bank or up on the dock and he's looking at, looking at his family and he noticed that one of the children is missing and instinctively he dives into the water to rescue them. It takes courage to do that as they're watching that, that, that car maybe submerge underwater, And even the young people, the youth that are here today, Some of them will display courage in a similar manner when they might be there without anyone else and they see one of their friends or loved ones or maybe even a pet that's in danger and instinctively they'll respond to that bit of courage. So if we had the time and we had the opportunity to parade all of us through, there probably were times that you were tested to do something that was above and beyond the call of your own duty, we might say, and you acted courageously. That's something that's pretty normal. But also at the end of courage... If it's something that's pretty big that we do, we're also identified as maybe a hero. And there's a little bit of self-glory in that. Now we didn't think then, I'm going to go do this courageous act because they'll call me a hero and people will like me. Sometimes we come up afterwards and a lot of those heroes that are real heroes for acting courageously, they'll kind of back away and shyly and appropriately say, no, 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 anybody would have done that. And that's a really good response. Well, today I'm not talking about how that all of us in this room here would be more courageous. Should there be an accident, we would be out there. Should there be a fire, we'll dive into that fire to save someone. I would like to speak to us that I think that there's another issue that we as believers in Christ sometimes, and perhaps maybe often, are not courageous in. And that is in the realm of what we call moral courage. It's something that is often not met with a great deal of accolades. We're not called a hero when we display moral courage. In fact, when we are morally courageous, it generally means that we're willing to stand up for what is right. And often we'll do that by living a different lifestyle than that which is displayed wrongly around us. Or it could mean that we're going to stand up for what is right and we're willing to speak up or speak out or maybe even speak against someone. And where it takes real moral courage is sometimes when you have to do that with someone that you know very well, someone that you like, maybe a family member, maybe a fellow worker, maybe a fellow classmate, maybe someone in the church, someone who is misstepped or misspoken, maybe someone who is having an issue in their life with sin. And so you now have that issue of, are you going to display what is known as moral courage to deal with that? Now that's coming against other people that have a need. Will you be courageous? Because in a sense they are living in a situation that will bring about destruction with them, if not at least physical and emotional and mental destruction, but if they continue in that wayward life of sin, that they are being destroyed in their relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean they can't rebuild that again, but it does mean they're on a path of loss of rewards, a loss of glory to the Lord, a loss of intimacy with God. And if you saw them like that, would you be willing to dive into a situation like a burning building, or a submerged car, or a situation that would cause you to have to bring out from you that moral courage to try to help them. And you know this, at the end of that, and those of you that have stepped out of your little comfort zone and had that moral courage to confront someone that was in sin that you loved because you knew they were in this spiritual burning building, you know that often it wasn't with an accolade of, boy, you're a hero, and boy, I really love you, and aren't you really great. Aren't you usually met with opposition, and then maybe marginalization, and then you're kind of withdrawn from, and pretty soon you just feel so much all alone? Well, I don't know where we're going as a church, except I pray that as a church, together we would unite around moral courage, that we would be willing to do that. And I could teach you, which I will be doing on courage, and how to be courageous, but all of that isn't any good if in you does not beat a heart of someone that says, I do want to have purity, holiness, and morality. I want to have it in me so if I do have to cr- confront someone, I will not be trying to cast out the speck in someone else's eye while I still have the big beam in my eye or sin in my life. Are you ready to hear that? Or are you just going to hear a couple of things today and wish that I wouldn't speak so long and maybe move to something else? I pray not. I pray that I pray that you realize how important it is that holiness and righteousness is right for us to have and that we're willing to pay the price and the cost that it might cost us to live that life for ourselves first but then also willing to rescue those that are around us that are not that way. I read an article about how a business partner came together And with that firm, they decided to teach more ethics to their people. So they took a survey first, and they asked the constituency of the company, the people who work there, to give about five or six different ethical challenges that they see amongst their peers. And then from that, they would then come up with the particular program that they would give to their people. And they had plenty of responses. But what was so unusual was that in the responses in the survey from the people was this... You know what? We're going to have this ethics thing here. You're bringing it on us as employees. Boy, so-and-so really needs to hear this. She needs to hear this. He needs to hear this. They need to hear this. What came back on nearly every survey was how that other people needed to hear that rather than the person themselves saying, I really need to hear this. And it wouldn't surprise me, those of you that are listening today, that maybe even now you're saying, oh, I wish so-and-so was to hear this about being morally courageous within with their own issues. And then, oh, they need to hear this, how they can help others. And that's good. I'm I'm glad you'd want them here. And I pray we do more to bring more people to hear this so we can rescue them through these messages. But right now, I'd like it to be for a moment about us. First of all, will we model the passion for morality within us And the courage to live that, a separated life, and then to live to help other people. Leo Tolstoy said this, and I picked this up because I thought it would be good. Right now, we have heard over the last maybe six months a lot about we need change. America needs change. And we have a president now that's been elected based on probably the number one mantra is, I'm going to bring change. Well, Leo Tolstoy said this, Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one wants to think about changing themselves. And yes, I do want to change the world, and I know the way we do that is through the gospel and the word of God, but right now, as much as I care about the world, I want to be right so that I have something of value of a lifestyle and lips that I can change the world with. And so I want to be a part of this that says, yeah, I want to change the world, but I want to make sure that in my own heart that I would change and be this way myself. So I pray that through this message today, first of all, you've come to the grips that you want to have morality. Now I wonder if that's the case. If that's the case, then it's going to take some courage, real courage for you to have this. So let's see what courage really means. If you just took the standard dictionary off your shelf, you'll find for Funk and Wagnall's dictionary, they define courage this way. It's the quality of mind and spirit enabling one to meet danger or opposition with fearfulness. That's a pretty good definition from a humanistic point of view. It's the quality of mind and spirit that enables me to meet danger or opposition with fearlessness. Well, then I decided to go back to the first dictionary of the American language because the person who wrote this was so immersed in scripture in an environment in our country where Christianity was really the influencing factor in our our founding. It's from the Noah Webster American Dictionary of the English Language. Very similar, but here's what it says. It says, The quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness or without fear or depression of spirits. Well, as good as that is, what was more important is to find out how does God explain what fear is and what courage is. And so there are five primary Greek words, and I didn't take it all the way through the Old Testament, and maybe in my future studies on character building, we'll do some Old Testament Hebrew too. But for right now, I picked out five words, and it's not important that you know these words. Go to our website, you'll see the outline there in about a week, and you can get it. But here is the definition from the Greek, the Koine simple Greek, in which the Bible, the New Testament, was first written. One is the word tharsos, and it means be of good cheer. Another Greek word is to be of good courage and comfort and that word was used in the context of Scripture that dealt specifically just with character. Another word was the word boldness and it was said in the context of manifesting boldness. I thought that was interesting. It's not just to say I'm bold or to think you're bold or to claim you're bold, but boldness is something that other people can actually see which means that you're facing opposition that other people see and you're willing to confront it properly. Another word is the word intense boldness. So there must be levels of courage apparent from Scripture. The last one is this. This one had multiple uses in the same Greek word in Scripture. One was freedom of speech, unreserved utterance. In other words, that your courage was so strong that you felt you had freedom to be able to speak this and you had courage of utterance. Another part of that was the absence of fear in speaking boldly. In other words, there wasn't, I'm bold, but I'm also scared at the same time. And the last one I thought was interesting, it says this. It was the deportment, that's a lifestyle, speaking and living, by which one becomes conspicuous. That means your courage is so well known that people recognize you as having the character trait of, you are conspicuously courageous. Now, since this is coming from Scripture, and it could be talking about dangers and opposition, I do believe that what's beating close to the heart of God is our moral courage to be honest, decent, having integrity, the character of Christ. We would be conspicuously bold and courageous in manifesting the character of Christ. So, young people, when you're at school, are you known to be different than the rest of your friends in the area of not just having courage, but your courage is wrapped up around your conspicuousness to have good godliness in your life. Those of us that are in the world of work, are you conspicuously known because you can repair a computer or you can build a building or you can give out some answers or you conspicuously known that you're a person of great character? Now, let me frame this for you a little bit. I'm not talking about that it's uh, goody two-shoes. I'm not talking about that you keep pointing your bony finger of pharisaical wrath on those who don't live right. No, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about that if someone wanted to know, is there a a moral standard, they would know that they could go to you because you know it and you live it and you're willing to speak and defend it. Boy, if you want to be known for something, it's good to be known for some of the task details that you can do. That's great to do that. But couple with that, but you would be a person that would be known for that moral courage that you could have. Now, some of you will find it very easy I, I, to display a, a, an intensity of personality. I'm thinking of one right now that, that finds it pretty easy to be intensely, intense with their personality, and it's the person up here on the stage, up here on the platform. It's not hard for me. Some of you have been around me sometimes when you sense my intensity. But now I want to speak against that, against that. Just because you have an intense personality, and some of you have it, I don't have anybody in mind, so I'll speak about me. Remember, it's compassionate courage. It's not just the ability to pull the trigger, shoot low, throw grenades on righteousness. It's to be done in an environment with a great deal of tenderness because it's always grace before truth when we do this. So it's our personality governed by the Spirit of God. And so for some of us, we have to power down our courageous passion because it's all about ours. And for some of you, you have to power up. Some of you, I know that they should be doing better and you quietly can criticize, but you don't take a stand for anything. You let it all just kind of go to hell around you. And so there's a balance that, that only the Spirit of God and those who are wanting to yield to Him will experience. And it is such a sweet, wonderful balance when He takes over in this area of courage. Well, I want to submit to you probably a working definition of, of uh, courage that you might want to use with your kids. I suggest you take it, modify it, massage it, but make sure it's biblical. It goes on like this. It says, Being willing to stand alone on the side of right without fear or depression. Standing, being willing to stand alone on the side of right without fear or depression. that's pretty easy. You can look at that and uh, drill deep in that if you'd like. Well, it's important for us not to speak merely on courage, but to see how is it displayed in Scripture. Well, there are many different times courage is displayed in Scripture. We could spend probably the rest of uh, my career as pastor here just going over all the Bible characters that in some measure displayed courage that was morally driven. But I wanted to go back to the life of Christ. Again, I probably could spend maybe the, last, the next 10 years going through the life of Christ. I've selected one passage here. Now, let me make this real clear what I'm doing as I open up this passage to you. It was read to, to us by our friend Randy. A good passage, you have it in front of you. Now, the primary understanding of this passage is not merely to show you what courage is all about. There's some deeper truths in it than for me merely to say, the real lesson is courage. Now, I'm going to show you what some of those are. But I do want you to know that in the passage that we're studying, courage was displayed. And so as it was displayed, I'm just showing you how courage was displayed in a passage where some deeper truths were were taught. Now, stay with me on this very important. We're going to talk about how he chased out the money changer, opened the tables, did this, all that kind of stuff that's going on. I want you to know that the deeper lesson in this is a moral courage of holiness, a moral courage of the rightness of God, the moral courage that God gets all the praise and all the glory. It's all about God. So while we'll go through some of the details and why that all fit into scripture and what he was really doing, the courage that he was displaying was for a greater cause and that was morality, holiness, purity about God. It was all about God. So if you keep that in mind, I think we can take from this passage some lessons that might be beneficial to us. For those of you, maybe the one of you that's saying, I'm willing to say, instead of changing the world right now, I want to change me. I need to know what Purity is, and I want to stand for it. So how did he do it? Let's look at the first one. Jesus did this in Mark 11 when he stood alone. Look at the passage, the first part of it. It says, so they came to Jerusalem, the small little entourage that was with him. And then it says, then Jesus went into the temple. Circle the word they, and then put the word then Jesus. Jesus. It's interesting how he came with a group, but only one went into the temple. It didn't say, then they went into Jerusalem, then they went into the temple with Jesus. And he could have said that. He said that other times at other events. But it seems like, and I may be reading more into this, but it does seem like Jesus went into the temple. And then he did some stuff. So let's look at the second one. He scattered the evildoers. It says, and then he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, before I go any further here, I think it's important for those of you that are beginning your journey, and here you're seeing Jesus goes into this temple, he does all of this stuff here. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Some of you that might have a moderate understanding of Scripture might say, yeah, the temple was kind of important. He did kind of some of this stuff here. He's just kind of cleaning it up. But really, what's the big deal? It was a huge deal. And this is why I'd like you to see the importance of him doing this courageous act. Now, what was pervading over the whole city of Jerusalem at that time, they were getting ready for Passover, At the same time, there were a lot of people coming in because they were going to do their Passover rituals. And I I wish I had time to unpack all of this and still get this, but we'd be here all day. This is a a worship service, not a seminar. But when he was getting ready to do all this, one of the things that you could do is that if you did not have an animal with you that was uh, pure and, and approved, you could buy one. And now if you were to buy one, you had to buy one with Jewish money. So people could come from other places, they had their own money, so they had to get it changed. When they also had to uh, come in, they would be paying a temple tax, but it had to be done with Jewish money. If they didn't have the money that was available to them, the next thing that they had to do was change that money. So they had to get the right money to pay for the animals and also to pay for the temple tax. There's a whole group of people that are doing this now for you that understand the temple you might think of the temple that's down the road on the Pali. you might even look at this and say look we're in the house of god this temple was huge in fact if i could give you three words about this temple that would help you understand first it was vast it was a huge temple And when it was first constructed, before um, Herod built a little bit more on this thing here, I wanted you to know that the temple was big to show how small man was. God designed it big so when you walked into this, how small we are. Have any of you ever walked into a big stadium for the first time and you walk up and you just come out of the little, I don't know what they call it, the little hallway there and a big stadium and all of a sudden you think, wow, this place is huge. Well, I'm not telling you the temple was big as a stadium. But I do want you to know it was that feeling of vastness. The second thing it was a very beautiful place. And beauty often was a sign of purity and holiness and worship. It was a time of specialness to God. And so this was a beautiful temple. It wasn't opulent. It wasn't a popcorn palace. It was beautiful, though. The third word you want to remember about this temple was that it was a place that you would see of prayer. It had purpose. There was a reason for the temple. It was so that the people would gather together, they'd do their offerings, they'd get right with the Lord, they would pray. Basically, bottom line is that they would use this as a location for them to focus more on God so God became the center of it. Now again, the temple was constructed. But unfortunately, they started to use this temple as in the middle of the city so that people would often go from one end of the city to the other end of the city. They'd go through one door of the temple and out the other door of the temple. They had all these animals there. Think about animals. Now, those of you that have pets, those of you that have cats... Those of you that have cat boxes, now I'm stopping you there. Now think of thousands, not thousands, let's think of dozens, hundreds maybe, of these animals all around and the smell that they had probably was inside this temple here, are very close by this opulent temple, this this, this big temple. And now the place is starting to stink. Now you've got guys over here that are selling various animals. Now, remember how I said earlier on, it wasn't really wrong to do that if you didn't have it. But what was happening with the society then was it was a lot easier to travel with your family, buy your animals there, and it became now a place of convenience. Oh, I don't really have the right money here. That's okay. They've got people over here that'll change my money for me. So all of a sudden, this place was a thoroughfare for traffic. There was animals everywhere. There was people that were hustle and bustle, changing money everywhere. And yet God is saying, wait, oh, oh, time out. This is a place of prayer for the nations. And it's become nothing more than Kind of like a shopping center. Kind of like a big bank. I can't even explain it. But it took worship. It took the focus of God and reduced it to man, busyness, convenience, all of this stuff. And so when you, the worst part of it was this. That when you came in here and you saw all of this stuff, you thought that was authentic worship. Did you hear what I said? You thought that was authentic worship. And that's worse because now you've watered down the reality of it all and you bought something that's plastic. And so Jesus had to do something about that.
0: Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's more at makeitclear.org. Thank you and remember to make it clear.